Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the Beast Era podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. And today we are wrapping up the whole Beast Era. We've watched every episode of Beast Wars. We've watched every episode of Beast Machines. We read those IDW Beast Wars comics years ago, and we're not reading them again. <laughs> no. They're no, very bad. They're not good. I mean, no. if we set up a Patreon, you're going to need to pay us money to, uh, to as like a Patreon level for that or that's, something. Yeah, that's going to be one of the higher tiers. Like all the money. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That said, though, before we uh, before we uh, begin our wrap up, there is one final piece of uh, Beast Era fiction that I happen to have right in my hands here, as suggested to us by a uh, listener and friend of the show, Matt Monzo Carpowich. Aha! And that is Infinity Abliss. So back in uh, what year is this? Back in 2004, uh, iBooks, which I think is now defunct, put out a paperback anthology of Transformers short stories uh, titled Transformers Legends. Uh, this is long out of print, and if you need to buy it, you're going uh, to be shelling out some decent cash for uh, what is a fairly small paperback. Yeah, it's uh, definitely in the realm of uh, collectible books there. Yeah. I was going to say Amazon algorithmically driven ridiculous pricing. Oh, also I I did actually get uh I forget forty or fifty dollars for a copy a couple of years ago. So it's not entirely Amazon's ridiculous algorithms. Ah. Anyway, there are a couple notable stories in here. There is a uh, a Beast Wars story from Simon Furman. Hey. Uh, there is a story that introduces Paddles, the uh, the plesiosaur Dinobot. Yes, oh. it's so it, good. It's a very endearing little story, and I think they've made a couple of third, at least one third-party Paddles. Um, I think it was yeah. just one, but yeah, it was that was pretty exciting. I mean, that's not bad for a guy from a novel. No. Hmm. Named Paddles. A, a guy from a short story that is... Out of print to the point of of being uh, an aftermarket collectible. Yes. And the final story in the collection, which is Singul- Singularity Abliss by Robert Anskier. So it's good to know that he continued the important Beast Machines trend of ridiculously pretentious titles. <laughs> oh, this listen, it's a good thing this uh, this story is about Megatron because this prose is purple. <laughs> <laughs> Is is it obliss two words or obliss one? A B L Y S S. Um, do we have what? a thesaurus to explain what that means? I'll get to it. Okay. It's in the story. 
Okay. okay. Is it a, is it a real oh, word or is it something no. that he made up? It is not a real word. It is it is what, what the kids call a portmanteau. Oh, okay, because I I was gonna say like I know a lot of words and that's not one of them. No, this is not going to show up on your word a day calendar. Speaking of which, it is, happy however, 2017, everybody. Yes. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. We it is also a, it's also a Denver, Colorado era upholstery and refinishing company. Sadly, that does not come up. <laughs> Alas. I was a general, a leader of troops. I was a king, reigning over a planet. I am... I am... I am... Results pending. (laughs) No processor still collating data. The world spins crazily beneath me, above me, around me, through me. Utter disorientation. Had I a stomach, it would be flipping, making me nauseous. Yet another reason to revel in the fact that I am no longer sickeningly... Organic. Ew. Gross. So this is all being told from the perspective of Megatron right after he has been zapped by Night Scream at the end of uh, Spark War. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah, this, uh, there, there is all sorts of uh, Beast Wars continuity here. There's uh, He talks about how they brought back uh, organic life from Earth. Is, uh, we didn't leave that befouled and misbegotten planet behind us. We brought it back to our home world within our contaminated bodies, within cells that no purely robotic body should even possess. Could this have been the work of those malevolent alien beings, the Vok? Did their mysterious machinations during the so-called Beast Wars ultimately lead to our being changed from within? Yay, Vokster. And that's yes, there is, there is not only a Beast Wars name drop, at some point in here, he also uses the phrase "beast machines," <laughs> which sadly we—I don't think we ever got that during the uh, the series proper. No, because no, it's really I... awkward. Yeah, you know, Beast Wars is at least like—I don't know—it was already awkward, but there was a reason to use it in universe. Yes, yes here we are. Infection bred mutation as Maximal transmuted into whatever beings my techno-organic enemies have reformatted themselves into, and their presence here on this world, my world, is an infestation I struggle to eradicate. It would appear that my eradication came first. Beast machines infecting the purity of my perfect Cybertron. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thanks, Megatron. (laughs) So, yeah, he is sort of floating in the void here, wondering why he is floating here in space like this. All alone, more or less. And then he uh, he eventually comes uh, comes across a guide to this uh, to this realm he finds himself in. As if in response, something drifts towards me from the void. A dreamlike figure moving languidly, as if through water. It seems to be composed of living light. Welcome. It beckons with its thick, throaty voice. A horn sprouts from the center of the apparition's wide forehead then elongates into a tank turret. I know this being. I battled it endlessly on Earth, then, discovering it helpless on my native Cybertron, twisted it to serve my own ends, until it developed ambitions of its own and tried to destroy me. Yes, it is Rhinox. (gasps) Yay! Although he almost never uses the word Rhinox. At some point he calls himself, or he calls it Tankor Rhinox. Mm -hmm. Bad port. Wait, like hyphenated or? No, like one word. Tank, tank or Rhinox. Oh, Tank One or R? Rhinox. Two R's. 
Oh, I'm disappointed. Oh. Tanko Rhinox. He also refers to it as my hallucinary pedagogic Diceros Bicornis. <laughs> oh, Megatron. Oh, that's so good. Damn it, Megatron. Fuck. I like I like Bob Skier, but somebody please take his thesaurus. <laughs> I mean, be fair, that's in character. This yeah. is yeah. yeah. He he just really dove deep into character for this. And so as, as with this sort of videos in between the scenes of uh the subsequent episode, Spark of Darkness, where Megatron is randomly possessing various Viacon corpses. Uh-huh. And apparently while all that is going on, Rhinox is leading Megatron throughout the Tree of Life, which is apparently based on uh the Kabbalah. Oh uh-huh. the, interesting. The wait, the weird thing with the Sephiroths? Is that what they were? The layers? Yeah, that because there are a whole bunch of uh he says that the foundation lies at the base of the great tree. The path we walk is an ascension as we scale the trunk, exploring the many boughs. Until at last we reach the great crown, the wellspring we codify as the Matrix. Wow. I have no idea what this hallucination is yammering about. (laughs) I allow his words to flow through me like a river, as the world around us is cast into hues of orange. The sight of an orange robotic rhinoceros tank, espousing theological philosophy, removes any of my prior doubts. My ordeal with my enemies has left me completely and utterly insane. (laughs) I know that feeling. <laughs> Talking to a rhino tank? Yeah, and and realizing that, yeah, I've lost it. Talking to, to a rhino tank? Wait, first realm is splendor. Splendor is not a measure of opulence or acquisitions, but rather a reflection of universal symmetry. Oh, wait, so this this is just Dante's Inferno with Megatron? Yes. That's And Rhinox is Virgil. That's a neat idea. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I dig it, but I I, I kind of want to go back a second. Orange? Yeah. See, in each different realm, there's a different color. Uh, oh, it starts out as oh, purple, okay. then it's orange, and it it keeps going from color to color. So is this like a chakra thing? Uh, the guy who fights <laughs> Spider-Man? <laughs> no. No. Oh, chakra. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, possibly I'm not as uh, spiritual as Bob Skier is, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sort of a, like, informal pagan, so I'm vaguely familiar with the concepts, but not, not enough. So, yeah, they go from uh, from that, They uh, he encounters Black Rackney and Silverbolt, then... Rattrap and Botanica, who he describes as strangely accented. <laughs> sure. I guess that's what Well, he's not wrong. Wait, so he's encountering people who are still alive. Wasn't, shouldn't the point be he's well, encountering people who are dead? Well, no, see, he's going between that and the events of the episode where, like, he's possessing, oh. like, a bunch of dead vehicons. Oh, okay, so it's, it's a parallel story that's just sort of vaguely Dante's Inferno. It'd be more interesting if he met Tarantulas. Yeah, sadly there is no... These are the only dead character. Well, he's going to sort of encounter a dead character later on. Uh, but I guess it's well he's not... Like, well he's between possessing things, this is happening with Rhinox. Yeah. 
He's, he's just tripping balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, as you can see, we've arrived at beauty, he tells me, the next sphere in our rise through the tree of life. Beauty? What use has beauty to a machine? My logic circuits have codified untold information since I first came online. Observing, gathering, and encrypting data. Formulating plans, battle tactics, long-term strategies. And never have I found even the slightest use for such nonsense. What use has a blossoming rose? The silver mist enshrouding a waterfall? Or the dulcet tones of a Stradivarius violin? White noise. Extraneous information cluttering the data stream. Filtered without effort in my endless quest for power. It's very Megatron. Yeah. Stradivarius seems out of place. It does seem weird. Also, I mean, I I realize I'm being nitpicky in that sort of as a writer way, but really the whole thing towards the beginning about nausea could have just not been there at all. And yeah. Yes. I mean, you've you've got to think about. So so this is first person then, right? Yes, yes, this is being narrated by Megatron. I I could really just write off all the purpleness as being a choice because of Megatron, I say, having not read any of Bob Skier's other prose. No, I I don't know if that's something he's prone to or not. Yeah, I've only ever seen episodes by him, and certainly those episode titles are pretty purple. Yeah, that's... Uh, He seems like a basically normal guy in the episode commentaries, though. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I I'm... A perfectly normal person who can write ridiculously purple prose when necessary. But, but yeah, I would think that you would want to try to avoid comparisons that the, the narrator would not necessarily go to, such as nausea. I don't know, maybe he was nauseous all the time as a T-Rex. Maybe he's always eaten like nasty stuff he shouldn't be. Uh-oh. Anyway, and, in, enjoy the uh, the mixing of mythologies because here comes yet a, yet I do see something else a spark glowing brightly as it settles down upon a scale I recognize it instantly as my own how can I be watching my spark when I myself am my spark on the other side of the scale a feather drifts down silently <laughs> what, he, oh my god he, what, what what Egyptian mythology ah. Okay. Uh. I love you, Bob Skier. I mean, yeah, but like, okay, you're already mixing like Kabbalah stuff and and then Egypt, but, but, uh. and also space robots. Yeah, space. Ro- it, it's bad, and you're already conflating one Earth religious theology, and then you throw Egyptian into with the robots, and uh, no, no. So, which character cameos to ferry him across the river of literal sticks? <laughs> Sadly, there are no rivers here. Ah, but rivers. So once they, because this this is the realm of beauty, and then they now come to the emotional plane. Uh-huh. Emotions drive our desires, igniting our ambitions. Severity propels us to achieve our goals, because this is the realm of severity. Uh oh. Before us swarms like a cloud. <laughs> Before us swarms a cloud of scarlet fireflies, which pixel together, forming a mighty Decepticon. I recognize the configuration as my most illustrious ancestor. His right hand strobes alarmingly as energy emanates up its arm, threatening his existence. Without hesitation, he reaches over with his left arm and tears off the offending appendage. Throwing it into the air, he blasts it to pieces. 
Oh, I remember that time that happened. That I don't. Arm, as the arm dissipates, I understand how deeply severity has served as my personal engine, just as it has served Predacon and Decepticon alike since time immemorial. The true nature of severity is not cruelty, Rhinox explains, but resolve. Oh, so is, okay. is that supposed to be, like, the original Megatron? Who at some point had to rip his own arm off? I do not recall any particular point at which he ripped his arm off and threw it up into the air and shot it into pieces, so I, 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 I can't his, say. I remember his hand falling off when he had cosmic rust, but that was just yes, I sad. Love, I love that episode, but mostly just because it's got lots of adorable perceptor. I mean, unless, like, it's supposed to be Megatronus before Megatronus entered the fiction... Hey, who's that? Oh, oh no, there was a Prime with a severed arm in Transformers Prime, but yeah. he must not have shot that arm because the arm's the only part left of him. Yeah, the uh, Solus Prime, I think. Was that no? Because Solus Prime was the lady. But I thought it was the arm because he needed the arm to use the hammer. No, I think he, he needed, needed just the arm of a Prime. Oh, a Prime. Yeah. I seem to recall that was later retconned in as the arm of Liege Maximo. Ooh. We will get to this in distant eons when we get to Transformers Prime. Yeah. So yeah, now he encounters uh, Thrust and Cheetor and Strike and Obsidian. Uh, where else? We, there's some Night Scream in here. This is where he calls him Tankor Rhinox. Uh-oh. He's, he's got uh, Strike uh, helpless here. Having learned the value of mercy, I close in for the kill without making her suffer. See, Tankor Rhinox? Am I not the very picture of compassion? Sure. No, Megatron, don't don't threaten the giant ladybot. Yeah, because there's there's a, then you know he, he's in the the sphere of mercy, which balances severity on the emotional plane. He ends up in a in the realm of understanding, in which a bunch of equations are flying around. Ooh, that sounds cool. Like that episode of Simpsons Treehouse of Horror? Exactly like that. Oh, I was thinking Amadeus Cho. And actually, but... I think there's also an episode, uh, one of the episodes of Five Faces of Darkness, where Rodimus Prime is having Matrix Visions. That's also <gasps> something that happens. Yes. I wonder oh. if you watched that. <laughs> Entirely possible. I mean, I had VHS tapes of that. Yeah. That's, I think, the crazy thing about this. And I've mentioned this before, how at that point you couldn't just go out and get DVD, like a DVD box set of all this stuff. Oh. So it was always very exciting when there were any callbacks because someone actually called back to it. His words would carry more meaning if quadratic equations weren't swarming all around like psychotic hornets. <laughs> oh, man. That's how Pi I R squared hovers overhead until E equals MC squared smashes it out of the way. Yes. And then abject chaos is two pi R Pi R squared's dogfight with C equals one hundred eighty six thousand miles per hour. <laughs> it's it's nice that it's in uh Imperial. Yes. <laughs> I see great kings being born, rising to power, being assassinated by even greater kings as empires spread over continents, planets, star systems, galaxies. Peace treaties written by diplomats and signed by statesmen, statesmen debating freedoms, dates of births. Dates of deaths, more dates, more deaths, all being played out on a tableau of one, of zeros and ones. 
all streaming in an endless river of knowledge until RS equals 2MG divided by C squared arrives and pulls everything into a star of 75 solar masses, compacted into an area half the size of a grain of sand. It crushes my soul to witness such a conglomeration of information being annihilated within that singularity. And all is silent, and all is peace, until that twice-damned rhino trundles into view on tank treads I in my infinite wisdom provided him. <laughs> Mental note, enemies should be vanquished and slaughtered, not mem not memnonically degaussed and reconfigured into unwitting allies. End I note. love memnonically degaussed. Because <laughs> now this is wisdom. Dun dun. And here, this is where we get Megatron has an epiphany here, and he is prepared, much as Optimus Prime was in, or Primal was in the season premiere, to enter. The Allspark, the crown. I know now that I am surrounded by the very thing I never believed existed, the Allspark, the Matrix, consisting of every spark that ever existed, the wellspring from which the essence of every being emerges and to which they must ultimately return. Now is the time, irrefutably, for my own return. Despite my ambitions, my every act driven by malice, spite, or naked greed, the almighty Matrix is prepared to receive me into the fold. Its purity is blinding, wondrous, a perfect realm of truth and beauty. And upon my return, I will become one with the Allspark and it with me. In return for relinquishing my individuality, I will once again assimilate into its infinitude, attaining omniscience and omnipresence. I am giddy with the prospect of uniting such a force, and all it will cost me is my individualism, is attaining infinity worth my very soul. Rhinox again appears before me. Why do you hesitate, Megatron? Submit, and no eternal bliss. Bliss, I wonder. Or abyss. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no! Oh, no. I was going to say, he's hesitating because he just noticed that that new Starscream body he doesn't recognize appears to have a phallus photoshopped onto it. I now understand my place in the grand scheme. I am but a tiny probe sent out to learn and experience, accumulating knowledge to enrich the almighty Allspark. A mere probe, the great Megatron, hardly. Let the other damned sparks face annihilation within the singularity of the Abliss. Weird portmanteau word creation, but yeah, that's Megatron. Rhinox reaches out for me with arms of sculpted light and purity of spirit. Lure me back into that universal hive mind, will you? I think not. It's I like when him. Megatron would just name things. <laughs> yeah. Transmetals. Yes. I reach out to him with arms of pure energy, entirely out of phase with his. Energy charged with purity of purpose. His eyes gaze into mine although in truth neither of us has eyes, as he suddenly understands the enormity of his situation. You dare presume to enlighten me, Rhinox? Better we should both face annihilation. Matter meets with antimatter, positrons colliding with electrons, compassion colliding with abject hate. And in an instant that lasts a thousand eons, I learn that there is indeed something more satisfying than the howl of a dying beast, the death scream of an angel. (laughs) Oh, man. 
Okay. I love this stuff. So he has just, I guess, killed Rhinox's soul. <laughs> wow. Wait, he killed his soul? Yes. I, I'm sorry, that's a meme from a, a Let's Play of Metal Gear Solid 2 that I still can't get over. Oh. <laughs> a character just says, I killed my soul. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So, Thanks, Kojima. <laughs> at the end, Megatron is back in that diagnostic drone where he ended up at the end of that episode. And with all the sparks subsumed under my will, I will return to the AllSpark, not as a supplicant pleading reintegration and the relinquishment of my individuality. When next I ascend this tree of life, I shall assimilate the AllSpark under me. I was a general, a leader of troops. I was a king reigning over a planet. Why did I ever trouble myself over such ridiculous minutiae? Soon, so very soon, I shall be a god. Yes. Yes. I love and that's his death. Dun, dun, dun. Well, it ends on a yes, so that's good. It, you know, it's fun. I I think he gets Megatron's voice pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You mean the guy who just finished story editing two seasons with that as a primary character knows <laughs> the character's voice? Yes. Oh. So, you know, it's an interesting addendum, but I can certainly see why they wouldn't have got that into an actual episode. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty, uh, it's pretty serious business there. It doesn't even seem like it's an idea for an episode. It seems like it was not even created until the idea of doing a pro story came about. It doesn't sound like it would have worked as an episode other than as an entire some period? relatively visual descriptions that I'm not even sure would actually work as visuals. Mm. No. Like, but but the idea of Megatron going through a Dante's Inferno is interesting. The problem is, like, why would Megatron stay on that path through the entire trip? Like, halfway through, he should just go off. <laughs> I don't know how like, much control eh. he has over this. He That's strangles good. Archangel Rhinox at the end. There's some control, apparently. Apparently that only works because it's happening at the exact same time that Rattrap is repolarizing his spark. Uh-huh. Sure. So Rattrap repolarizing his spark allows him to kill the soul of Rhinox, maybe? Apparently, yes. Thanks, Rattrap. <laughs> That's unfortunate. If I were doing it, I'd have Megatron maybe lash out at him a few times. Yeah. And it just destroys, like, whatever avatar he's taking, but it's just like, okay, it was Tankor, now it's Rhinox. Okay, now it's Transmetal Rhinox. Okay, now it's uh, Fox Kids Redeco Rhinox. So, and with that, that is the Beast Era. So uh, before we go, we should talk a little about uh, the Beast Machines toy line. How it, you know, it was trying something different, and it didn't entirely work. Hmm. And it was uh, yeah, sort of the first fair. time we'd had characters available in multiple scales at the same time. Hence, you know, your your Supreme Cheetor, your three different sizes of Megatrons, or uh, three different sizes of Optimus Primals, rather, and. Uh, it works. It's commonplace now, but it wasn't at the time, and it seemed new and different. 
And it's possible that the market wasn't just ready for that yet. Yeah, certainly, that's possible. It certainly wasn't ready for Supreme Cheetor because you could find those things years later. Yeah. yeah. I think when, by the time I finally got a Unicron, I think there was a Supreme Cheetor still there. Possibly. I would not be surprised. <laughs> I feel like they, like, it's, I don't even think it was they weren't ready for it. I think they just didn't have the right balance and enough support. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 we mostly enjoyed Beast Machines, but I, it's not entirely successful as a toy selling vehicle. Yeah. Well, also the, the toys don't quite look enough like their animated counterparts. Yeah, I think this was, I mean, it's not, not to say that they've never done toys that were based on, I mean, there there was always sort of this thing about how the toys came first and whatever fiction art came after. So, and and this led some in the fandom. There there was certainly a faction of the fandom that uh, felt this to mean that the toy was always correct uh, and any deviations from that uh, was the deviation. Uh, I mean, there were there were action masters. Uh, which, which were, you know, based on, uh, pre-existing models to a certain extent. Uh, but really this was the first time that the, the show models were really the basis for everything else. Uh, and we didn't really see that again until arguably animated, uh, maybe Prime after that more, more so. Yeah. And I think there's, Probably a good segue to talk about how the fandom reacted to this uh, show, which was not great. See, there is this this phenomenon that I've I've noticed, uh, and I talked a little before about my personal reaction to Beast Wars when it was new, uh, and I think that whatever the first big change is after you join the fandom is the worst thing ever. Uh, And I saw this on Tumblr when you had all these uh, largely uh, young women who had come into the animated fandom, uh, mostly following Derek Wyatt and and company's uh, work on Teen Titans, uh, and then came over to Transformers Animated, and then they they hated Prime with a passion. Uh, and, and, And so you see that. And so for... I mean, part of the reason why Beast Wars was so controversial when it started was that 100% of the fandom at that point had come in with G1, and and we'll lump G2. I, I think it's hilarious that G2 gets lumped in with G1, because that is where the name came from, was to differentiate them. <laughs> but what came after was such a so much of a departure that, you know, it, it really was basically the same thing. Uh, so yes, yeah, so many people came, like 100% of the fandom at that time had come in with G1 or G2. So Beast Wars was the first big upheaval. So everyone had some sort of strong opinion on it and most of them up front. And, and it won most of us over, but most of us up front had that reaction. But then Beast Wars brought in a whole lot more people from, you know, who hadn't gotten involved in fandom before that. And I think a lot of that was that 
a lot of the kids who had grown up with G1 uh, were getting to be college age, uh, whereas, whereas I was precociously part of the fandom when I was in high school, because zines are cool, guys. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was this obnoxious nerd hipster thing. Uh, but, but yeah, so all these people who had just come into the fandom with Beast Wars, who had seen Beast Wars, you know, on, on TV in their college dorms, uh, and were suddenly had internet for the first time because not, you know, 1996, 97, 98 was when people were first starting to get home internet as a regular thing. Uh, for a lot of people, going to college was the first time they had regular internet access. Uh, so that was when they would then reach out to the community. They'd get involved with the community. Uh, and so I think that the fact that for all those people, Beast Machines was the first big upheaval was that was a lot of why it, it got such a negative reaction uh, because that was something I was, I'm, I'm also a huge nerd for uh, trying to, to come up with sociology theories. And, and one of those was, you know, that, that was when I really realized that people are going to be, have, you know, negative opinions of whatever the first thing is. Uh, because I realized that what they were going through was the same thing I had gone through and so many other fans had gone through with Beast Wars. So that's that's my sociology, <laughs> amateur sociologist perspective. And, you know, Bob Skier, he really tried. He had his own website where he took questions from the fandom. And apparently... The constant hostility that ended up coming from that uh, led to him canceling a convention appearance. Because people are assholes. Yes. He he was getting death threats. Yeah. And uh, this was before you just got death threats for existing on the internet. Yeah, there was no Twitter back then. Yeah, there was no, (laughs) no President Trump. But the good news is, you know, he... Obviously kept working. He has actually done a bunch of uh, Transformers episodes since. Well, he did three episodes of uh, Transformers Prime. Hmm. Oh, that's I, I vaguely recall that now. And he uh, and he also his partner on Beast Machines was uh, Marty Eisenberg, who did not have a website, and nobody had any problems with him. <laughs> and he's been all over Transformers. Yeah, that was kind of the problem was that uh, I, I think it was partly because he was, you know, Bob Skier was the one who made himself the face of the series. I think the other problem was that, I mean, like I said, there there was a lot of negative reaction to Beast Wars to start with. But Bob Forward and Larry Dottilio did not start getting involved in the fan community until people were starting to warm up to it. And not to say that that was a conscious thing on their part. That's probably just chance that, you know, when it had been out a few months, they realized that there was this fan community. Uh, so I think that maybe had had Bob Skier, you know, stayed back a little bit until people started, you know, getting used to the show, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad. But, you know, that's the Internet. Mm-hmm. I think Beast Wars also 
benefited from something that Beast Machines was not in a position to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Beast Wars was a clean break. It One of the best things it did was slowly introduce more references back to what came before, but it wasn't just saying, okay, here's the same characters you know from back then, it's still them, it's still a continuation of the same story that you've been listening to for all these years. It was a new thing, and this was was a continuation of Beast Wars in ways that I don't think were advantageous to it. Yeah, that's, I mean, when, when we've talked before comparing, you know, directly comparing characterizations, uh, and that's something apart from Starscream in Beast Wars, uh, that wasn't something that you really had a problem with. And, and it was kind of nice in, uh, Beast Wars that there was a sort of, they pulled stuff, I've, I'm, I'm sure I mentioned before the whole thing with the, the two continuities that people had strong feelings one way or the other about. You were either a cartoon continuity person or a comic continuity person. Uh, and they sort of, you, you could see Beast Wars as happening either way. So it wasn't really like a direct comparison to anything. It pulled just enough from both and treated it all with enough uh, mythicness and reverence that it kind of fit with either or even both at the same time, which yeah. has kind of been important in kind of establishing tone of the franchise going forward as far as how free-form connections between things seems to be allowed to be. Yeah, which is nice. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that having it as a direct continuation with a different, you know, having the actual literally the same cast with a completely different creative team didn't really do it any big favors. No. It honestly might have done better with an entirely new hero cast and just having Megatron as the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. I I would agree with that. And uh, apparently it didn't entirely meet Hasbro's expectations either, as there was a planned follow-up series, uh, TransTech. All we've seen of it are... um, some concept art, and I believe one toy prototype? Yeah, Starscream, which sort of kind of became the Armada design, in a way. Well, there's There's some some similarities. Also, I just want to interject here real quick that I just noticed uh, that I believe David posted some stuff about the the Sephirothic tree into our, our chat, and I'm pretty sure I saw that in Evangelion. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah, the second one is, is the, the Evangelion one with the weird upside down looking tree thing. Uh, David and I have very contrary opinions on Evangelion, so. Oh. We'll, we'll leave that. I have the opinion that I haven't seen it. What? Well, we I know, have... I'm like that, uh, that one friend of yours who hasn't seen Star Wars. Yeah, I had that friend. We fixed her. I knew a friend who hadn't seen Ghostbusters until she was like 20. Wow. I know. How do you not see Ghostbusters? Yeah, it's on TV. It was on TBS all the time. It's hard to miss that. And and to think, just earlier today, I was re-listening to the famous Shinji's English voice actor rant. Oh, yeah. I I did make a comment over the holidays that actually it turns out my sister, uh, who is three and a half years younger than me, 
has has apparently not is, is apparently only passingly familiar with Evangelion because I made my standard joke about how whenever I get a blind pack thing, it's always Shinji, and and she, <laughs> she sort of got it. But because whenever I get a blind pack thing, it's it's always Shinji. So I was assuring her that if that that Paw Patrol toy she was she was getting for my nephews was probably going to be Shinji. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was Sky. So anyone who knows Paw Patrol stuff should be happy for her. Okay. <laughs> I need to know. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry to be real okay. things, but that's what that's I do. Okay. So apparently Transtech would have involved both uh, returning Beast Wars characters and uh, Generation 1 characters, all with uh, sort of futuristic, mechanically vehicle modes. Yeah, so there is, and there is a decent bit of uh, concept art that made it out into the world. Yes, including uh, Optimus Primal as a monkey truck. Yes. So good. Weird. I, Monkey truck. I like the Cheetor car. That was kind of neat. Well, I mean, they, and they, at least that, that inspired the much later animated blur. Yeah. Yes. Which is very cool toy. Yes. One of my favorite animated toys. And there, you know, there are all sorts of reasons that this didn't come to pass. Part of it was that mainframe was kind of, uh, undergoing some problems at the time. Uh, Hasbro had uh, just placed a large bet on uh, Phantom Menace toys, which didn't entirely pay off. Yeah. Oh, that that was a huge bet. I really suspect that part of the reason why we saw so much original trilogy stuff alongside the Force Awakens stuff was because of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want to get stuck with a uh, three pallets of Sebulbas. No, yeah. you don't. Okay, here's how huge a bet that was. They paid for the license to Star Wars by giving George Lucas 10% of the company. Zoinks. Is he still on 10% of Hasbro? I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, that probably paid off eventually. Yeah. Possibly thanks to Transformers. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Star Wars stuff does pretty well now. Uh, unless you're Constable Zuvio, yes. Well, yes. Poor, not-the-movie Constable <laughs> Zuvio. <laughs> Man, they should make that, like, their next solo Star Wars movie. So they do, uh, they do Rogue One, they do the Han Solo movie, <laughs> then Constable Zuvio, the movie. They'll sell just, all, all those immediately. Just so people can get rid of those toys. <laughs> Be like a cop movie. <laughs> Oh, another factor in Transect not being – sorry. Oh, I was just uh, going to say, he's a cop who doesn't play them by the rules. He's a Zuvio, whatever that is. They fight crime. <laughs> <laughs> another reason that Transect ended up not panning out was because uh, that was right around when the uh, previously Kenner, now Hasbro offices in their Cincinnati location were – Shuttered, and everybody working there was given the option of, well, you can take this buyout package and start looking for work elsewhere, or you can move up to Rhode Island and work at the main facility. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, they they used to be down in Cincinnati. 
at the University of Cincinnati's College of Design, Art, Architecture, and Planning. The faculty is just littered with former Hasbro employees from that facility. <laughs> There's also, uh, I forget whether you were, you were there on this trip, Alex, uh, but there was a, uh, a toy shop there that, you know, is like a collectible toy shop and they had all kinds of like Kenner test shots and stuff in, in their, you know, very, very nice stuff cases. Oh yes, absolutely. There's, Guys there who worked on the original Star Wars toy line still. There's people around here who used to work on Nerf. There's the guy who was in the uh, modeling and rapid prototyping lab at the university when I was attending still had all of his, like, fine sculpting tool bits for the three-axis mill from when he was working at Kenner on tooling. And they were, like, locked in a safe because the things were so damn fragile that you could use them to, like, carve a G.I. Joe face into a mold. Nice. Just super fine detail, but they would snap like toothpicks if you didn't handle them super gingerly. I think part of it probably also was just that the Beast Beast Machine's toy line was not one of their best performing toy lines. No. I, I think they were a little wary of spending more money on Transformers at that point. So it's almost as if they needed to import something that uh, was basically already made. The, <laughs> a cartoon that was already paid for, some toys that they could just import, with some minor modifications, but but where, what mythical land could produce such a thing? <laughs> Enter Japan. So... <laughs> So, so tr- true story. Uh, a a friend of Ouija was in what uh, was up at Toy Fair that year, and the night before it was announced, uh, he let a bunch of us know that it was just going to be robots in disguise the next year. And a friend of mine oh. called me at work to let me know that. <laughs> and then I had to explain to my coworkers why I was suddenly like, why? What the hell? Okay, so after uh, after doing a couple series of their own uh, Beast Wars spinoffs, uh, Beast Wars 2, Beast Wars Neo, and then Beast Wars Metals, which was kind of the third, which was basically just the seasons two and three of Beast Wars, uh, Takara did not uh, bring over Beast Machines, but instead uh, produced their own largely original line, uh, Car Robots, which was all vehicles, with the exception of some uh, recycled Hasbro molds uh, for the, the villains, plus a new uh, villain leader. Gigatron, is that? Yes. Gigatron. Gigatron. Yes, who was a six-changer with six modes of varying uh, provenance. <laughs> <laughs> but when he, by the time he came over, he had ten modes. Yeah. Yes. And, and there were many. I think there are dozens of fan modes that, that you can find documented online now. Because uh, yeah, he's over a hundred. Yeah, he was just this super jointed, ridiculous toy with all these little bits that you could just arrange however and you know, there are certain things one of his modes was a hand. <laughs> I will admit that is I pretty liked cool. that mode so much. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the cooler of ones. And, it's a pretty fun toy, but in concept it just seemed very silly to me. Yes. But, 
it's and I think we'll well we're we're going in that direction yeah, now. Yeah, I think but. we may have some more uh more to talk about that next week. Opinions, yeah, got a lot and of so, opinions. And so this then marked the end of the Beast era. Hasbro is moving out of something else, and uh, but the Beast era, well, it hasn't received as much attention subsequently as uh, as Generation One. You know, we we get the odd homage toy every now and then. We got a quite nice uh, Rhinox a couple of years ago. Well, yeah, uh, a good Rat Trap and a Waspinator. Not particularly good Thank shooter. That was from a separate time. That was around the uh it was around the movie, wasn't it? First movie? Or Yeah, that oh. was in the uh kind of the gap between the uh first movie line and the ROTF movie line, I think. Yes, I think you're right. I, yeah, I so remember because I was I was there at the time. Oh right. <laughs> awesome inside sources, everybody. Yeah, it was a very I I feel like Beast Wars doesn't get as much attention, certainly, but it's definitely, like, I I have happened to tell just random people at, you know, the coffee shop or whatever that, that I'm doing this podcast and we're doing Beast Wars, and they're, they're, I get a lot of, oh, yeah! So people, you know, it, it doesn't come up as much as a lot of things, but people have fond memories of it. Those, you know, it, it is well-regarded. Those... Uh... The Cheetor and Dinobot that we got around then were after the 10th anniversary re-release where they redid or re-released a bunch of the show characters, especially leaning toward the Maximals. Oh, right, right. And the included... The figure Transmutate. Yes, the Build-A-Figure Transmutate and a DVD included with each one, and I think that did pretty well. Okay. And then we also got, like, the... Uh, was that... Bundled in with the Cybertron line, or was that just part of the 10th anniversary thing too, and then released on its own later of the new, not any one particular body Optimus Primal or Megatron ever had? Those were released both representative of all as of them? Beast Wars guys, and then repainted into the Cybertron line. Okay. So yeah, they kind of did a whole Beast Wars 10th anniversary thing at the time that was successful, and then kind of folded them into universes. Universe was kind of entrenched as a thing rather than the grab bag of redecos of stuff from the past that they can sell as store exclusives. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But I think where Beast Beast Wars and Beast Machines' influence were really felt later on is the uh, the fiction, where you know subsequent Transformer shows after the Unicron trilogy was finished, they felt more like Beast Wars than they did like Generation One. Yeah, I mean it's definitely uh, in in Transformers animated. Just having Optimus Prime as this not robot Jesus <laughs> was yes. was a very and I think that it was it was very good. Uh, I like Optimus Prime more when he's not robot Jesus, uh, and and that was definitely an influence there. Yeah, I mean they, it seems to have been a pattern that they've used for a lot of series of a small crew of Autobots slash Maximal slash good guys, whatever you want to call them, trapped on Earth, fighting a limited but still significant portion of Predacon slash Decepticon slash what you have you. Focusing yes. on a smaller cast with more character development rather than 
we're going to make a bunch of different toy designs and we're going to shove everyone on the show and half of them are going to be voiced by Casey Kasem. <laughs> yeah, I think, and that's, I think something that is just a, a big change in the toy industry that started somewhere around maybe action masters and slowly worked its way to, to being what we have today is that, and, and bear in mind that the entire concept of the, the toy based show was something that came in the early eighties. Uh, so it's something that had time to evolve. Yeah. And I think that that was when these companies started figuring out that people didn't want a whole bunch of different characters so much as they wanted updated versions of the same characters. Because what they wanted is that character, but if it was the one that had been on the shelf for a while, they weren't going to want it. They wanted a, they wanted that character, but a new version. Uh, and that's something that, like I said, they, these, these companies doing this stuff took a little time to figure out. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get to stuff where you have multiple versions and multiple sizes of the same character. It's because it's, it, they've, they realized how important the character driven aspect of it was. And I might even go as far as to point to stuff like Batman the Animated Series for part of that, where it kind of started experimenting with, okay, we're going to do just a <laughs> bunch of crazy, stupid variants of the characters that they actually have on the show instead of trying to do a bajillion characters and force them to include them on the show. Yes. Laser Batman. <laughs> Arctic Batman. <laughs> Night Attack Batman. And that's that's really become a thing, is just all these ridiculous different versions of Batman. Negative threat Batman. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best worst name. (laughs) Although I think that might have been for the Batman. Maybe, maybe. That was for the Batman, yes. I just really like the Night Force Ninjas one that has sculpted nipples. Because why does the toy have sculpted nipples? Okay, why does a toy designed for children have sculpted nipples? Which I mean, that movie was also designed for children. Oh, no, that was the Night Force Ninjas. Oh, this wasn't from the, uh... No! The Joel Schumacher movie. Is this, is this before that? Uh, no. Maybe that's where they got it. Now I have to look this up. That was, you know, Night Force Ninjas was the line that uh, Aaron Archer started on. Maybe Aaron Archer just loves nipples. Maybe, but there's one that's that's shirtless. That's the thing is, is he's shirtless and he has sculpted nipples. Oh well, I mean that oh, makes more sense yeah. than having them on the Batman suit. Well, yes, it's it's fist Joel shakes fist. fist. <laughs> yes, Fist Fury Batman, and you can't tell so well in, in the picture on the website that I found here, but just trust me when I tell you that that toy has sculpted nipples. Well, it also clearly has sculpted chest hair, so I believe you. <laughs> I wonder if it's a reference to that um, that Neil Adams issue where oh, Batman and yeah. uh, Rachel will fight each other without their shirts on. It's Rachel. Maybe. Not Raz. Sometimes it's Raish. Sometimes sometimes it's Raish in the animated series. It's Raz in the movies. I go with whatever. How many times do they say it in the movies? uh, They say it a bunch of times in the in Batman Begins, and I think it comes up a couple of times in uh, Dark Knight Rises. The other great thing about 
this this Batman toy is that uh so this is a a ninja themed line <laughs> but it's the mid to late 90s and so the the armor that he has that goes over his bare chest is neon yellow like oh god that looks like Lex Luthor's armor like probably black light reactive neon yellow <laughs> that's that's what you should be having as a ninja. Also, the Batmobile is that color from that line. So uh, that's, yeah, that that was definitely a toy line. But Aaron Archer worked on it. Yeah. He's put up some of the uh, old presentation boards that he did for them on his social media presences. And they're actually worth looking up. They're kind of cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw his Batgirl one, and it was pretty good. Yeah. It's also worth looking up his art blog. He does really cool monsters. Yes. Okay, so do we have anything more to uh, say about the Beast era, or shall we uh, sign off? I, you know, I think that, and this is really just reiterating things I've said over and over throughout the the, the podcast series, is that I, I really, uh, I appreciated that it brought this the level of writing that it did. Uh, to the Transformers stuff, because the comics had that level of writing, but you hadn't really seen it in, if, if you haven't seen the old G1 cartoon, you should, you should do that and, and laugh at it and then go do something <laughs> with your life. Uh, because it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fun, but it's very silly. It's, yeah. it's very, very silly. Uh, there are some episodes in season three that aspire to be actual science fiction, but other than that, it's, it's pretty silly. So it was nice to have a show that was actually, it, it's, it was one of those things sort of like, uh, the more than meets the eye slash lost light comic now, where it's something that actually can make you proud to be a Transformers fan. Uh, especially, you know, as someone who appreciates well-written fiction. The end. I feel like there's a, well, I love the Beast Era shows. I'm glad that they were a landmark for computer animation, especially in television. Uh, they're the reason I'm a fan for life instead of just, oh, I remember that from when I was a kid. And I want to make a weird comparison here. As far as how Beast Machines turned out, I feel like it bears a strange resemblance to uh, the situation with the uh, JRPGs Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, Beast Machines would be better if it wasn't tied to Beast Wars. Exactly. Yeah, it's good, but it has problems. And they're not deal-breaker problems Unless you're a fan of the stuff that came before it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is a lot like Chrono Cross, because it kind of screws over some characters you liked that had progress in the first game. Oh, It's not nearly as bad about that as Chrono Cross was. I'll give these machines credit for that. And Bob Skier, ultimately, going back and rewatching this much later, I enjoyed it a lot more this time than I was when I was first watching it. I, I think some some distance helps. Yeah. 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 And it also helps that there's been so much Transformers fiction since then, and this isn't the only, you know, uh, uh, you know, in 1999, 2000, there were no comics. There was 
one television series. There were no movies. Yeah. You're getting I mean, 20 toys a year. So I, I think at, at the beginning of the podcast, there was something about, you know, something asked about, like, people not watching it. And I was like, of course they watched it. It was all we had. <laughs> <laughs> so no matter how much people hated it, they they still watched it because that was it. That was Even all the haters had. were hate-watching it because it was the only thing there was. <laughs> yes, it was the only Transformers fiction, the only new Transformers fiction. So, so yeah, I mean... That was definitely, now we have an abundance of, of Transformers fiction, but yeah, it, it was not that way for a long time. No. Alright, so, I think, uh, I think unless we have any final thoughts, I think it's, uh, time to sign off and, uh, but we will be back. And before we start into our next full series, we're gonna be talking about, uh, what Hasbro did next. As we weather an attack from outer space. Yay! Yes. <laughs> but until then, you can find us all over the internet. We are on Twitter, we are on Tumblr, and we are on Facebook. And we are hosted by IaconUnderground.net, uh, where we also have a Patreon set up to help with paying for our hosting and other expenses. Uh, that is at patreon.com slash IaconUnderground. You can find us on both Google Play and on iTunes. And uh, while doing so, please rate and review us. And uh, if you want us to hear your thoughts on the Beast Era, then write in to us at the in the Maxim Mailbag, which I think we're just going to keep the name of because it's a good name. It is a good name. And that is at stasispodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. as well, or do you think that went too long? I was kind of bored still. I, I have nothing else planned, so I can yeah. go either way. Oh, I do have one last hungry. thought. I'm not sure that I had a place to fit into the show. Okay, you can cram that in there. We're kind of hitting like the 18, 19, 20 year on mark for the whole Beast era starting, and that we did just get the Rat Trap and Rhinox and what was the third one that was? Oh, Waspinator. 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 And not only that, but we've also got Rat Trap playing a sizable role in the comics, and we've got Air Razor and Tigatron back around. It seems like this is the point where they finally started folding in the Beast Wars characters instead of 
just like going back to G1 and having the obscure late 88, 89 G1 characters showing up from time to time. Yeah, I think it helps a lot that, you know, with the fiction, you've got this whole, you know, the whole colony thing. Um, yeah. So you have an easy way to bring these characters in. Uh, like they did with you, Botanica. Yes. Yeah. And now you also have the, uh, the alternate origin, uh, from Wreckers where you also have some who are not from Eucharist, uh, who, uh, were created through Tarantulas' experiments. Uh, so yeah, so that helps a lot to, to bring them into the fold. You're cracking and popping a lot there, Jim. Yeah, sorry, I wandered into the other room. <laughs> Benjamin, get out of the fucking closet. <laughs> he's, he's in the closet now. He told me he doesn't want anyone to know. It's nice that we're getting Beastie, Beastie's characters as just background dudes. We have Fat Tankor now. Yes! Even I though love he's that we a... have both of the Tankors. Yes. <laughs> I love that they're roommates. <laughs> All right, so are we all ready to start up uh, Robots in Disguise? Wait, I'm going to make my cat chase the laser pointer. And may I never have to listen to that theme song again. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God, it was Oh, awful. we're going to have to talk about that. Yes. Oh, we will have words. 